Welcome to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast, where AOPA's legal and medical certification staff, along with leading industry voices, take on the challenges and developments that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, to becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. I'm Chad Mayer, a commercial pilot and staff attorney with AOPA's Legal Services Plan. Today we'll be discussing accidents and incidents, what the difference is, and what type of reporting may be required if you have such an event. Joining me today is Edward Hadley, an AOPA panel attorney in private practice in Tennessee. Edward is also a pilot who comes from a family of pilots. And Edward, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background with aviation and aviation law. Sure thing. Uh, Chad, thanks for having me uh, participate in the podcast today. I am a uh, lawyer in Nashville, Tennessee. I've born and raised in Tennessee and have uh, grown up in a family of pilots with airplanes of all various configurations over the years. I started flying after law school and have my private license and instrument rating. Two other pilots practice in my firm. And years ago, we started getting asked a lot of questions by other pilots and persons in aviation uh, with legal issues and began a sort of a full-fledged aviation law practice. And since then, that portion of the practice has grown. I, my aviation part of my practice includes the aircraft purchases, uh, FAA matters for not only pilots, but other operators in the system, some accident litigation, disputes between owners and shops. So we do a good bit of things regarding piloting and aviation. Uh, legal issues. All right. Well, thank you for walking us through your background, Edward. And you, you recently wrote an article for AOPA about what the difference is between an accident and an incident and some of the things that spring from that. Please tell us more about that subject and kind of walk us through your article and why that distinction matters to pilots. Absolutely. This is one of those things that common sense might suggest to you, well, anyone ought to know the difference between an accident and an incident, but uh, common sense will not serve you well um, in this matter. And if you've worked with the FAA long enough or pretty much any government agency, you'd realize common sense is not always the best guide. (laughs) Agreed. So the short answer is this. It comes down to a definition from the FAA regulations. The terms accident and the term serious incident are more or less synonymous. There are a few distinctions, which I'll address in a moment, but both of those types of events are reportable to the NTSB, not the FAA. An accident gets reported in 10 days. A serious incident is to be reported as expeditious as possible. So a little bit different reporting requirements. If you have merely an incident, it is not required to be reported to anyone. So let's talk about what they are. The accident or serious incident have specific definitions. Accident is defined, and I'll just read it for you, is an occurrence associated with the operation of an aircraft that takes place between the time any persons board the aircraft with the intention of flight and all such persons have disembarked and in which any person suffers death or serious injury, or in which the aircraft receives substantial damage. Now, some of those terms are also further defined. For example, substantial damage, we may think we know what that means, but the FAA actually defines it. And in particular, the FAA has written in an exception to substantial damage, which excludes from that definition a gear-up landing. 
primarily because the NTSB did not want to deal with reports of gear up landings if all they did was tear up the airplane. Right. And I think on that note, you know, the NTSB is obligated by statute to uh, investigate every aircraft accident. And if the probable cause is that the pilot forgot to put the landing gear down, <laughs> maybe they thought that's not the best use of resources. So, yeah. And we're reading here from uh, from NTSB Part 830 and 830.2. And we'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. So, so that is the basic definition of an accident. Now, the other term, serious incidents, it also has a specific definition, and it is from 49 CFR 830.5. And there are a number of things listed there that I'm, I'm not going to read out today. But, for example, one of the definitions of a serious incident that you would not expect is it includes a loss of information from more than 50% of an aircraft's cockpit displays. So some incidents or occurrences like that can fall under the definition of serious incident and must be reported by the most expeditious means available. So you definitely have some nuances in those terms to look at. Basically, anything else would be considered an incident. Um, As I mentioned before, none of these, whether an accident, a serious incident, or just a, a mere incident, are reportable to the FAA. So with uh, any of these definitions, there are lots of pieces to closely look at. So we looked at uh, substantial damage where a gear up landing is really carved out of that, that definition by the FAA and its regulations, even though you would think an airplane that's pretty much destroyed, even totaled under insurance standards would be substantially damaged, but it doesn't meet the definition under the FAA. So another example of that focuses not on the airplane, but on the passengers. So again, if we went back to the definition of accident, it includes in the definition death or serious injury to a person. And so if we were to say, okay, let's say you've shut the plane down everybody's getting out of the plane and one of your passengers misses the little step and goes down, falls, puts her hands down, minor wrist fracture. Doesn't even notice at the time, goes to the hospital and a couple hours later, just because of some swelling and then, you know, it's mild. They put a splint on it. No big deal. Well, that's a reportable accident because uh, the person um, had flown and not all persons had disembarked the aircraft and they suffered a serious injury. A bone fracture is a serious injury under the definition. So now you've got a reportable accident and that's not one that common sense would really suggest you need to report to the NTSB. Another key part of the definition is something that takes place when a person boards the aircraft with the intention of flight. So intention of flight is another phrase within the definition of accident. So if you were to crank your airplane up and you taxi over just to get fuel, you don't have any intention to go fly, and you end up um, banging it up, then there's no intention of flight, and that is not a reportable accident. So again, common sense would not... um, got you well there. Yeah, thanks. The, those are some great examples. And I think e- each one is is counterintuitive in its own way. And I think a lot of pilots think that, you know, something happens. If you got to call somebody, you got to call the FAA. And, and putting aside some cases involving, you know, drones, when you're talking about traditional manned aircraft, 
there's never going to be an accident or incident where there's an obligation to call the FAA. If there's a reporting requirement, as you stated, it is going to be to the NTSB unless, as I said, certain UAS cases. That is true, which raises another set of issues. Often the FAA does find out about events, especially the gear up landings. Um, It never fails. Somebody in the airport calls the FAA or calls the tower if it's a towered airport or the airport has to note them a closure and the word gets back around to the FAA. The FAA will start asking questions and investigate. And this is probably perhaps one of the best times to have an attorney involved. And, you know, at at the rate lawyers charge for time, the pilot protection services plan is a great value because you can pay for years of premiums and they will not equal one hour of lawyer time to advise you in how to deal with the FAA if they come around asking questions. A common example is an incident that may not rise to the level of a reportable incident might still get investigated by the FAA. I represented a client that had flown an aircraft to a NASCAR race and unfortunately a ground vehicle tapped the wing, put a small dent in the leading edge out on the far end. It was just a dent. Everything was fine. They flew the plane home and guess what? The FAA showed up a week later to investigate flying an unairworthy aircraft. And, um, they had to get my services to help represent them through that to avoid some sanctions for flying an unairworthy aircraft. So that's where the protection services plan can be a, a huge push. Thank you for the plug. And I'll say it's better to be a plan participant before something happens so we can give you the full benefit under the plan. You know, rather than signing up after the fact, you can still have a chat with us and we can still refer you to, uh, we can still refer the pilot calling to a panel attorney such as yourself, but we're not able to actually pay your bills up to the plan limits the same way we could as if it had been a covered matter. Exactly. If you're involved even in a more serious accident that does require reporting, then you certainly want the services of a lawyer to help you. I worked on a case recently that involved an accident, and most pilots are pretty conscientious, and this particular pilot was very self-critical of not feathering the prop when an engine failed when they were doing some one-engine work. And as we sat down and started working through the facts of the accident, looking at the POH, we discovered that the prop would not have feathered anyway because on this particular model below 1,000 RPMs, a pin dropped in the propellers to keep them from feathering at low RPM. So feathering the prop wouldn't have done any good. That particular pilot was ready to fall on the sword and confess to the FAA that he had blown it because he hadn't feathered the prop. And that was turned out to not be a factor at all. So just having a, a lawyer to sit down with who is a pilot who familiar with the planes and can work through the details is a huge advantage. You could have the same conversation with your flight instructor, but it would not be privileged. When you speak to a lawyer, those are privileged conversations the FAA cannot discover. If you go sit down with your flight instructor, the FAA or an FAA attorney can go and interview or take that instructor's deposition, and he's obligated under the law or she is obligated under the law to tell everything that you told the flight instructor. So, Having an attorney available in those situations is great help. Edward, thanks. That's a great point about privilege. And, and for the non-lawyers in the audience, you know, what, what does that mean practically? Sure. Most folks have heard of the attorney-client privilege. And what that means is that the attorney cannot be compelled or forced by a court to reveal anything the client has told the attorney. 
So in this particular context, whenever there might be an FAA investigation or prosecution of a pilot, if a pilot has an event or accident and goes and starts talking to anyone who is not an attorney and reveals information, thoughts, facts about the um, event, the FAA or other investigator, even if there's a civil lawsuit, can go talk to those non-attorney individuals and say, what the pilot tell you? And they are required to truthfully reveal anything that the pilot said. So if the pilot confides in his flight instructor, hey, I think I made a mistake. I think I forgot to pull the flaps up. Well, then now that instructor has to reveal that information. In contrast, those types of conversations with between the pilot and his or her attorney are privileged from discovery. No one can compel the attorney to reveal what the pilot has told him or her. So it is far more advantageous for a pilot, and certainly even in a, a minor incident, to get the advice of an attorney. But certainly if there's an accident and if there's any injury where the possibility of prosecution and a civil lawsuit uh, loom out there, to get with an aviation attorney. The benefit of having an aviation attorney is they're gonna understand how to fly, how the plane operates, um, what procedures are, checklists, and know the right questions. And they'll help the pilot kind of evaluate the pilot's thoughts. As I mentioned earlier, my experience with pilots has been they're quick to be self-critical and fall on the sword and take responsibility for bad outcomes when sometimes uh, those bad outcomes are beyond the pilot's control or um, not necessarily the pilot's fault. So a good aviation lawyer with flying experience, airplane experience can help that pilot work through the facts, thoughts, details, and figure out what is likely or, or relevant and what may not be. Thanks, Edward. That makes a lot of sense. One thing I want to dive into a little bit more is, you know, when you're trying to classify something as either an accident uh, or an incident, where does NASA reporting come in? You know, a lot of pilots may know that NASA is not applicable to aircraft accidents, but, you know, what happens if you bend the aircraft, but the aircraft is not substantially damaged and nobody gets hurt? Yes, that's another area where the NASA report is fantastic. If you if you have an event that does not qualify as an accident, you still may end up with an FAA prosecution. And if you have completed your NASA form, I believe within 10 days of the event, even if you don't do it within 10 days, still submit it because it can give you some benefit. But if you've done it within 10 days, you can have a waiver of penalty. So the FAA still may find that you had a violation, but you do not suffer the penalty of suspension or fine, whatever, because you filed the NASA report. Again, it doesn't apply, like you said, to accidents, but for incidents that are non-serious, the NASA form can help lessen the consequences. Indeed. Thank you. And, and let's walk through an example, if we could, please, Edward. So, you know, let's say a pilot has that uh, gear up landing. The aircraft is not substantially damaged by that definition we discussed. And, and thankfully, nobody got hurt. So it's not going to be reportable in this case. Um, but the FAA has become aware either because the tower called them or somebody on the ground at a, at a pilot controlled field saw it happen. And the FAA is starting to look into it. What happens next? Sometimes it can be as minor as um, you get a phone number while you're flying and call the tower or the scenario you outlined. But in either of those where the FAA comes around asking questions, it's great to get an attorney involved immediately. As I was mentioning before, when you have a pilot attorney who can 
really talk flying with you. You can go through the facts very carefully, make sure that your memory is corroborated by other facts and other information. And the attorney can help you complete written responses, can help you prepare to meet and answer um, verbal questions, oral questions from an FAA investigator by telephone or even in person. And then ultimately, the attorney can guide you through the FAA prosecution process. So with the advent of the Pilots' Bill of Rights several years ago and kind of a evolution of that to the more recent compliance philosophy, the FAA has sort of two tracks of prosecution. And um, in my experience, it seems like if you're not a maverick who just uh, has rebelled against the authority of the FAA, then the FAA will really try to work with you and just make sure that um, if you have some some weak areas in your skills that you get with an instructor and work on those areas and, and bring them up to snuff. And then the FAA will usually give you a chance to either complete a 709 check ride where they just ride with you, make sure that you have improved your skills uh, to the level they need to be, or uh, just want to check you out and make sure you're good. If you demonstrate you've completed some remedial training, um, then they're happy with that and let you go on with your flying career without any discipline or action taken against your license. Yeah, thanks, Edward. And I think that's it's mostly a good news story for pilots. You know, it's been my experience as well that for these types of events, the FAA will typically request either remedial training and or that 709 reexamination. Um, certainly, they're not mutually exclusive, and I've seen plenty of airmen get both. And uh, while I've never heard anybody being thrilled about, you know, taken with a 709 reexamination, most of them have come back and said, you know, I, I flew with that FAA inspector, you know, maybe I learned something, but you know, it's behind me now and I'm moving on. That's true. That's been my experience as well. And it seems like the FAA, at least recently, has reserved the prosecutions just for the more egregious or um, rebellious types of activity. Whenever you do find yourself, though, in an investigation, it is still a good idea to sit down with an aviation attorney because your incident or your event, whatever the FAA is looking at, may be your, let's say, your proficiency in flying an instrument approach. But they're going to sit down and go through your logbook. They're going to ask you some questions about other things than instrument approaches. And you want to be sure that you know, your currency is documented well, your medical certificate's up to date and documented because you, you might forget about that because you're focused on your flying skills. And then the FAA investigator says, oh, yeah, let me look through your logbook. And you realize your medical expired two months ago. Um, and now you've got another FAA problem to deal with. And so kind of sitting down with an attorney first is, uh, is a good idea. All right. Thank you, Edward, for walking us through all that. As you suggested, a pilot facing this type of issue should reach out for individual legal advice, but this has been a fantastic overview. Uh, Now, how can listeners find you online or get in touch with you if they want to? Sure. Our firm web address is www.n, as in November, P as in Papa, R's in Romeo, attorneys.com. Perfect. Thank you, Edward. We'll make sure that that gets into the show notes along with links about uh, NASA reports, uh, 709 rides, and AOPA's pilot protection services in general. Thanks again, Edward. I appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your expertise. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast. We'll be back soon with more of your favorite topics and guests in general aviation. 
Pilot Protection Services is available only to AOPA members, and over 64,000 of those members choose to protect their certificates with PPS. It's a service we're proud to provide. Fly safe, and we'll see you soon.